10-year-old Bobby was sitting with his dad watching the news one night, and uh, he said, Dad, how do wars begin? His dad thought for a minute, and he said, well, Bobby, take World War I, for example. World War I started when Germany invaded Belgium. At this point, Bobby's mom walked into the room, and uh, she said, tell the boy the truth. It began when an archduke was assassinated, to which the dad responded, are you answering the question, or am I? She got so mad, she walked out of the room and slammed the door so hard it shook the room. And when the plates, the dishes in the cabinet, finally stopped rattling, Bobby said, that's okay, Dad. You don't have to tell me how wars begin. Now I know. <laughs> now I know. Isn't it interesting what can happen when things escalate or when we get insulted or injured or when we get mad? And we're going to talk about that today. In fact, if you're following along in the message notes that we provide every week, let me just tell you that what we're going to look at today in the Old Testament is, is an account that before he's king, David is mistreated and seeks revenge. Before he's ever king, these are the years before he is crowned king, David is mistreated and seeks revenge. You know, wanting to return insult for insult, injury for injury, payback, retaliation, retribution. That's what he wants to do. He is that mad. And you know, some of us here today say, you know, well, man, that guy just blew a gasket. I don't, I don't blow a gasket. I'm, I'm pretty even keel, so this message probably wouldn't be as important for me. But what I want you to see is that there are ranges of revenge. There are degrees of insult. There are degrees of injury. And so therefore, those situations, this is an area that affects all of our lives. But here's what I want you to see today. David's not the hero of this account. A woman named Abigail, who maybe you've never heard of before, maybe you know this story. However familiar or unfamiliar you are with this story, that's okay, because we're all going to learn about it today. And I just got to tell you that the more that I study this account, the more Abigail is not just a hero for David, she's a hero to me. And her wisdom has been of great help to me, even this week, as I've thought about my own situation. And so, if you're looking at the notes today, here's what I want you to see. Abigail's a hero who answers God's call to reverse revenge. Abigail's a hero who answers God's call to reverse revenge. If you haven't been with us, we are in this series called Unsung Heroes. What does that mean? It means that if a person is unsung, they're probably not as familiar, probably not as well-known. We have heroes that are household names, and then we have people that may not be so well-known, but in a way, they're just as much of a hero, maybe even more so. And what this series is about for us is letting God redefine what a hero looks like. We have so much celebrity worship. We have so many different ways of describing who are heroes to us, and some of those people aren't heroes in God's eyes. But there are people that are heroes in God's eyes, and he has shared those with us. Sometimes they're named, sometimes they're not named. They're unsung. 
But today we're going to see one who is named. Her name is Abigail. And her whole blessing that she brought to David's life and she can bring to your life and mine is that she helped David reverse revenge. Now, I thought to myself, how do I help you remember that? And so the only, I, I came up with just a brilliant way, and that is to ask you, would you repeat these three words? Abigail, reverse, revenge. Would you try? I mean, it may actually stick longer. Let's just see. Abigail, reverse, revenge. And this is what she's doing in David's life. Now, what is so bad about revenge? I mean, didn't Lord Byron say, sweet is revenge? Some of us, just the thought of being able to make someone pay makes our day. Doesn't it? It's just, it's kind of fun to think about how we can pay someone back. So let's not lie about that. Let's talk about how sweet revenge is. But I think what we're going to see is that while revenge may be sweet in the beginning, all of us are learning is that it rolls back on us in ways that make it less sweet. And so, again, as you're following along, here's what I want you to see in this account today is that Abigail's caught between, she's caught between foolish Nabal, that's her husband, and angry David, who she's never met before. She's caught between foolish Nabal and angry David. And would you look up here on the screen at Proverbs 29, 8, please? Just look at these words. Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away what, friends? Anger. And this woman is wise. We're going to learn a lot about her today, and we're going to look at Abigail's wisdom, and we're going to talk about how revenge and reversing revenge might look in our lives, and we're going to talk about how that might be something we can consider today in this coming week. And so, again, if you haven't been following along in this series, here's the definition we've been giving to heroes, and I just want to put it up here on the screen again, and we'll see specifically how it goes today. A hero, in fact, let's read this together. A hero is a person who by faith answers God's call to reverse revenge this week. Now, if you haven't been with us, you can look up here at the banners. We started off several weeks ago looking at Ananias, Hosea, Jonathan, Nathan, Job, Barnabas, finally a woman, Abigail today, and next week, Stephen. Now these, again, there's lots of different heroes, both men and women in the Bible, but today we're going to look at that, and you can see on this other banner some of the qualities that they've been teaching us. Last week we looked at Barnabas, and what an encourager he is, and how you and I can be like Barnabas. This week we're going to learn how we can learn from Abigail's wisdom. Now, one more thing. Why do we need this message? Can I just be totally honest? We need this message because it doesn't matter how long you walk with God, all of us struggle with low-grade resentments. All of us, just all you have to do is live in this world and someone's going to ding you. All you have to do is live in this world and you may be insulted or injured or hurt or slandered or your reputation may be, and, and again, you live in that long enough, and some of you, it's not even what someone's done to you. It's what someone has done to your loved one of yours. And that just is eating you alive. Maybe it's low grade, maybe it's high grade. 
Maybe it's the total obsession of your mind every day. But all of us struggle with low-grade resentments. And here's what I want us to see today. What you and I do with those thoughts of revenge and resentment will determine on whether or not we can tell a better story. It will determine whether we get bigger or smaller people. And when you and I begin to understand that, we can look at those desires and thoughts for revenge with better eyes. And that's what Abigail does for David, and that's what God wants to do for us. And so let's pray, and before we pray, can I just tell you that in case you wonder, do I ever struggle with this stuff? Isn't it interesting how God has a sense of humor? I picked this message several months ago in the planning process, but in the last couple weeks, there has been a situation with one of the merchants here in Springfield, the owners that I've just found myself irritated with because I feel like they're making decisions that bother me, okay? And so this low-grade resentment, like uh, here's how it tends to work. Ah! Anybody relate to this? And you don't necessarily even say it out loud, but it's right there. And so uh, I started noticing this stuff working in me. And the Lord, before I ever knew I was going to be studying this in so much detail, said, that's a problem. What you do with that, Jeff, really does matter. You're trying to minimize it and make it smaller than it is. It's a problem. And he showed me some things, and he's still showing me some things. This is a work in progress. I'm not here to tell you a victory story as much as I'm here to tell you this is what life's made of. This is where we all live at different times. And what we do with these things will determine whether we get bigger or smaller and what kind of story we'll tell someday. Here's the truth. God wants all of us to be able to tell a good story someday. He really wants that for you and me. So let's ask him to help us as we listen. Now, God, how we thank you for your word, which endures We thank you for your word, which is wise, and we thank you for the kind of heroes that you have raised up that can help us. Thank you for Abigail. Now let her wisdom help us like it helped David. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so if you would, turn to 1 Samuel 25, and uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, um, just know that we have black ones there. You can just pull them out. I think they say the word NIV on the end if you're pulling it out. And just pull it out. You can turn to page 203. Now, if you're getting used to your Bible, 1 Samuel's in the first fourth of the Bible. So 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. These are all, again, Old Testament history. And what we're going to look at today is 1 Samuel 25. If you look at David's life, he's found in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, as well as some of the accounts of the kings, but his story is incredible, and while he's waiting to be king, this happens. So let me just start, I'll read the first uh, 17 verses before we stop, okay? Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. Samuel was one of the great prophets. He had actually anointed David secretly to be king when he was a teenage boy, And so now he dies, and all of Israel assembles and mourns for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. Now let me stop and say something before I I pick this up. If you don't know much about David, before he ever became king, he went through the refining fire. 
After killing Goliath as a teenage boy with just five smooth stones and a slingshot, he just took him on, this huge nine-foot man. After doing that, he was greatly celebrated, and people would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands, and Saul didn't like that song. So Saul was king, and Saul, not the Saul and Paul we talked about last week in the New Testament, but King Saul in the Old Testament, first king of Israel ever, he gets envious of David. And for the next 10 years, you want me to say it again? 10 years. Where were you in August of 2003? For the next 10 years, David will live out of a suitcase, so to speak. He will be on the run. He will always have to look over his shoulder. He will have to make sure his parents are safe. He will be on the run from King Saul, who has way more soldiers, way more going on. But during that 10-year period, this story happens. And David is tested in a big way. And now he's in the wilderness. Now he's in the desert. And some of you know what it's like to be in the wilderness or the desert. That's where David is with 600 men that have all come to his aid and said, we will support you and follow you. So a certain man in Maon, verse 2, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. What this is telling us is that her beauty is more than skin deep. But her husband was surly. What a great word. Surly and mean in his dealings. That word means rude, like super rude in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Some of you know that the Old Testament character of Caleb was known as a man of excellent spirit. So even though he had a great ancestor, he was the opposite of his ancestor. He didn't have an excellent spirit. He had a terrible spirit. So it's giving us all this background. Verse 4, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were here with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Let me just stop here. This may sound obnoxious. This may sound presumptuous. But what's going on, if you've never studied, the Middle East, they had a whole different understanding of hospitality than we do. Even strangers, people in the Middle East, knew were their responsibility. Therefore, they would try and offer the best hospitality they could. That was a sign of their character. So when David sends to this wealthy man, what he's saying is, you know, our guys could have ripped you off a thousand times, but we never did that. Instead, we actually served to protect you, not only from animals, but from anybody else that wanted to take advantage of you. And because it's a festive time, because you're super wealthy, and because it's part of East, Middle Eastern hospitality, would you please share something with us at this time? That, that was the request, okay? Now, follow along in uh, verse 9. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants, 
who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? That's David's dad. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? This is, I mean, again, the United States, we just can't even fully manage, imagine the gravity of this insult. He absolutely shames these guys. He makes them look like total jerks, and he's sending them back empty-handed on top of that. So, verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. And one of the servants told Nab, uh, Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. This would have been very unusual, by the way. Sheep stealing was a hobby in those days. Night and day they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man. Listen to this last phrase. That no one can talk to him. Are people able to talk to you? Or have they learned that they're going to experience so much pushback, they just go, whatever. I've seen it. Some people cannot, cannot be talked to. They're a lot like Nabal. But what I want you to see is a contrast between Nabal and what happens in this story. Now let me just say one more thing here. David was normally not like this. In fact, if you study the 10 years that David's on the run, some remarkable things take place that show us David's deep down heart. David gets two opportunities to kill Saul. Saul comes into a cave to relieve himself and David's men are actually back there in the dark. And David creeps up and cuts off a corner of his robe. His men have told, kill him. It'll only take one shot. You can kill him right now, and our running will be over. David cuts off a portion of his robe, and later he tells the men, I should not have touched the Lord's anointed. I tried to take things in my own hands. I, that was wrong of me. And another time, he gets a chance to go right into the camp, past the general who's supposed to be watching him. They're all asleep. And all he had to do, his friend even said, I'll, all it takes is a spear once and, and Saul's gone. David said, don't do that. That's not for me to do. Now, a guy insults him and he says, let's go kill him. What's going on? Does anybody relate if I say this? That sometimes you can obey God, you can obey God, you can obey God, and then on a certain day, you snap. On a certain day, you go, that's enough. I don't want to do this anymore. I've had it. I'm sick and tired of people doing this to me. David was struggling like that. Now, it doesn't justify what he did. It doesn't justify, but it just, I love the fact that the Bible doesn't skirt around real life. David was ticked. Strap on your sword and let's use them right now. He's mad, okay? 
So now Abigail is told by her servants that disaster is hanging over her house. If you can do anything, do it now, because there's only so much time. And what Abigail does in her reaction, what would you do? What would you do if your servants came to you and told you all this and you had an impossible husband that no one else could talk to or an impossible family member or somebody at work or somebody that you have to intercede for? What would you do? And what Abigail does next is incredible, just incredible. So let's look and follow uh, what she does. The first thing I want you to see if you're following along the notes is this. Her wise approach is that she discerns when to wait, and when to act quickly. She discerns when to wait and when to act quickly. What do I mean by this? What we're going to see later in these verses as I read is that Abigail acts quickly, but with David, but she waits with Nabal. She acts quickly with David, but she waits with Nabal. Is that because she's trying to be deceitful? No. It's because she knows the score. Friends, the wisdom of timing is big. Have you ever tried to repair a bruised relationship at 1.30 in the morning? Doesn't tend to go as well when people are tired and having a hard time. There's times where there's time to act and time to wait. And sometimes it, what we do is we go, it's always time for me to wait because I'm a procrastinator. But there's other times that God's saying, do it now. Do it now. There is not a lot of time. There's a window of opportunity. If you don't seize it, the way that you handle this moment will either make you smaller or make you bigger. Do it now. And, and Abigail weighed that, and she understood the times, and she understood this is a now moment. I absolutely have to do something. Okay? So notice what she does. Verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, and don't picture just our loaves. These would have been massive. 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, which would have been like the size of an animal uh, skins of wine, 500 sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins. Again, these cakes would have been massive. And 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal because there was a better time to talk to Nabal, because Nabal doesn't listen to anybody anyway, but she knew that she was not trying to be deceitful. It's just, I better take care of this situation before I waste my time talking to Nabal. Now, notice verse 20. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said... It's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in this wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Basically, I'm going to wipe this guy's name out and all of his future. Okay? Now, would you read verse... Um, uh, let me read verse 23, and then I'm going to have you... Um, Read verse 24 with me in the notes. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Would you read verse 24 with me? She fell at David's feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak. 
and hear the words of your servant. And so <clears throat> when she talks to him, she, she begins this, and I want you to see these two things. First, if you're following along, Abigail brings gifts and humbly requests to speak. She brings gifts. This isn't the first time this has happened, and some of you think she's bribing David. But the truth is, what was David originally asking for? Gifts. So what she does is she makes that right first, but also knows that sometimes when someone's willing to be kind to us or generous to us, it, it disarms us a little bit, doesn't it? Now again, it can be manipulation, I know that, but she wasn't manipulating David. She realized that what he's concerned about is his men, and he's been insulted, and he's done all this work, and so she's immediately now trying to make the record right, and she sends gifts. She sends them out ahead. That's pretty smart, isn't it? Before we talk, did you see the gifts? That's really what she's trying to say. Now, Esau and Jacob had the same thing. And I list that passage out to the right in Genesis 32. When Jacob had harmed his brother Esau and taken away his birthright and also, you know, uh, everything from his, his brother, then what happened is, is when he was making it right, he sent a whole bunch of livestock out ahead because he heard that Esau was coming. And uh, then he talked to Esau. And sometimes, friends, we just need to make sure we've thought that through. But notice this. She humbly requests to speak. Look up here, if you would, Proverbs 15.1. Look at here the words on the screen. I love this verse. Let's read it together. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Sometimes when we're trying to take things in our own hands, we're so busy that we escalate things. So notice again, she comes, she bows, she's humbly, and she says, May I speak? Not, listen to me. May I speak? Are you open to me talking to you? Could I talk to you about this? That spirit is so much more disarming than the heavy-handed, all right, let's talk. And again, I just tell you, friends, it's a complete, she's so wise in her approach. Now, some of us would say, well, she was a woman in a male-dominated culture, and that's true. She had her hands full. Men were not inclined to listen to women. And if you watch the Middle East on TV, you can still see that some of that still predominates. In the Middle Eastern culture, there was this superiority kind of thing. But even then, she understands how within that to play a role in such a way that she gets David's ear. And ultimately, she gets his heart. But it starts with being humble. The, second thing, or the third thing I hope you'll see is that she puts herself in David's shoes and asks for forgiveness. She puts herself in David's shoes and asks for forgiveness. Let me keep reading. She says this in verse 26 or 25. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means full, fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord, your God, lives and as you live, since the Lord kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal, and let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battle and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, 
The life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from a pocket of a sling. Isn't that interesting? She says, you remember how that happened before? God's with you. He's going to help you. When the Lord has fulfilled my, for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel. She knows, as many people do, Jonathan knew it, Samuel knew it, that David was going to be king. But it looked like that promise was miles from being fulfilled. She says, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. Notice how she puts herself in David's shoes. Can I just tell you that when I'm mad at someone or when I'm trying to defend myself, I go heavy on my side and light on somebody else's side. But it helps to be balanced and go, why would David be feeling this way? Oh my goodness, he's been running from Saul. He has been mistreated, even though he did nothing wrong, all because of this crazy envy of Saul. And also, my husband just absolutely insulted him as much as he possibly could after all the days and weeks and months of watching our sheep. She put herself in his shoes, and David could listen because he knew she had taken the time to do that. And friends, people can tell when we have said, I understand a little bit better of your side. And she did that. And then notice, again, that not only did she do that, but notice what else she does here, if you're following the fourth thing. She helps David play it all the way out. She helps David play it all the way out. I, I don't have time to talk about this as much as I could and want to. When I was a youth pastor, I remember that, um, you know, that's a challenging time of life to be a teenager. It was for me. It's for everyone. It's challenging enough to be an adult. But as a teenager, I found that it didn't help if I just said to the kids, hey, this is what you're supposed to do because God says so. I found that it was wiser to do this, say, hey, Let's talk about, okay, yeah, you're wondering about drugs, you're wondering about premarital sex, you're wondering about cheating, you're wondering about this thing. Let's just play it all the way out. Let's say you don't do that. Let's say you think God's wrong. Let's say you think God's not wise, that he doesn't really know the score in this world anymore. Let's play it all the way out. And let's say that you go ahead and you act on that. Okay? And you act on that and you act on that. Where's that going to take you? Have you thought about that? The truth is, probably at first it's going to be a lot of fun. I would never want to lie to you about that. But where's it going to lead you? Play it all the way out. And what I found is, is that that helped people then be able to make a wiser decision. A lady said to me this week, Abigail cleans the window so that David can see clearly to make a good decision. She absolutely does. And she does it by helping him play all the way out. But the other thing she does, if you're following along, is that she points David back to the Lord and calls out the best in him. She points David back to the Lord and calls out the best in him. Here's what I want to ask you, friends. I know some of you, you don't have many Christian friends around you. And you may say that's because there aren't many that I know. Or you may say, I actually like my other friends who aren't Christians better. But here's what I want to tell you. When it comes down to moments like this, do you have some people around you who will call out the best in you rather than what you want to do and call out the low in you? My wife is such an Abigail. 
This last couple of weeks when I was in my spirit about some of those things that I was referring to earlier, my wife said, be very careful how you talk about them. She called out the best in me. One day as a dad, uh, my daughter and I, and I've, I think I've told this story before and she knows about it, but uh, we were just at odds. I know it's impossible for you to believe that I'm ever at odds with anyone because I'm just such a stellar personality. The truth is, is I have irritating side as much as anybody else. And so one day I was just really trying to you know, talk to Nally, like that, and just come down hard. And, and, and I, she, was, she was pushing back, and we were talking, and, and I finally just said, Natalie, you're better than that. And I didn't know that was what I was going to say. You ever said something afterwards? You said, oh, God, thank you for letting me say something I didn't know I was going to say. That was one of those moments. And my daughter has told me many times, Thank you. I don't like it when you challenge me sometimes because I can't see clear at the moment. But I know that you want something better for me. Thank you for calling out the best of me. Man, I wish I could do that more often. But what Abigail does is she did that. And friends, I just want to ask you, do you have someone that's calling out the low or the high? Do you like being around people that have high hopes for you or low hopes for you? Because God has high hopes for you. He has high hopes for you. And he's committed to helping you get there. But are you like Nabal or are you like David? Do you listen? Now listen to how David listened, verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. And when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. In other words, if you wonder if he could spare some extra food for David, it wasn't a problem. Let's just put it this way. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all till daybreak. She discerns when to wait and when to act. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him. And he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When, Nabal heard, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to take you to become his wife, and she goes, and some of you say, oh, that's the reason David listened to Abigail. But I hope you'll understand, again, in Middle Eastern culture, is that Abigail would have received nothing of the inheritance from Nabal. She was a woman. It would have gone to a man. Therefore, she was unprotected. And David, in many ways, is saying, I will now protect you like I protected David's flocks, and I will make sure that you are cared for and that you are not exposed where you don't have any 
protection. And it's a powerful thing. And you know, I, I talked on this at the men's breakfast a few months ago, but I told it from David's side. And here was my one thing to all the guys. Guys, are you humble enough to listen to a woman? Do you believe that a woman can teach you something? Do you believe that a woman can help you see the wisdom of God? I do. I am so thankful for the women in my life. But I have to be humble enough to listen. And some of us have problems with that, and we need to grow so that God can teach us. But how I thank God for Abigail. Now, here's the takeaway for us. She helped David reverse revenge. He backed up and went the other direction. The New Testament goes even a little farther, so let's talk about that and bring it home. What does reversing revenge look like? Here's the first piece of advice the New Testament gives us. Don't take revenge if you're following along. Let the Lord have it. Don't take revenge. Let the Lord have it. If you look up here on the screen, Romans 12, verses 17 through 21 speak to this. Look at what it says. Never pay back, this is verse 17, never pay back evil with what, friends? More evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Now look at verse 18. Let's read this together. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now look at verses 19 through 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is revenge? If you're following along, here's just a simple definition. Revenge means to inflict hurt on those who've hurt us, to retaliate. So therefore, the Bible says, don't take revenge. Now, friends, I want to be real careful about this. If someone has done something criminally wrong to you, you should weigh out whether or not you should bring charges against them, especially if there's a chance they could do it to other people. And that's going to require unbelievable discernment, unbelievable courage. I guess what I want to say is, do not take revenge does not mean do not bring charges to someone if there's that kind of behavior. That's not what it's saying. It's simply saying, don't try and get the whole deal paid back in your own power. Leave room for God. Let him have it. And so when you and I are feeling like, you know, I'm going to make sure that they get stung as much as I feel stung by this. Or I'm going to make sure that I make them feel as small as they made me feel. I'm going to make sure that they pay. Just be careful in the midst of that, that you leave room for God to do what he's going to do. The second thing that I hope you'll see is to bless instead of curse those who mistreat. And that's pretty happy music in the background there as we're talking about this, so that kind of helps. Bless instead of curse those who mistreat. Can I just say to you this? Hope someone, get your phone there? Okay. I, I just want to say this. This has changed my life. But it's hard. Years ago I thought, okay, here's how you reverse revenge. You just don't take revenge. There. I'm a good person, I didn't take revenge. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. I want you to actively look at those people differently and pray for their well-being and their good. 
rather than their cursing and their destruction. Look at 1 Peter 3.9. I'll never forget the day I discovered this verse. Discovered. It was already in the Bible. But you know how all of a sudden you see it for the first time? Let's read it together. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So, how do I practice with those owners that I was talking about? First of all, as my wife said, be careful how you talk. Don't try and gossip about them. Don't try and slander them like you are prone to do. Don't try and immediately go, well, here's how I'm going to handle that. That's good. But now, how can I begin to understand that God allowed me to meet them so I can be a witness to them? And I started realizing that the way I respond is my witness. It will show whether or not the Holy Spirit of God is having his way in my life. And as I begin to do that, changes me. You know who helped me understand this? My dad. Some of you know that he had a very painful upbringing with his dad, and it was hard for him to love his dad and forgive his dad, especially since his dad was the life of the party with guests that would come in their home and absolutely a different person when they were gone. But as my grandpa got older, the Lord began to work in his heart, but he had so much baggage of his own that it was hard for him to express love. And so my dad walked around going, I never got what I hoped I would get. As he began to pray each day that God would deliver truckloads of love on my grandpa, and that took him a while to get there. It changed everything, and he began to notice little ways that my grandfather was opening his heart and making attempts. And that was powerful. And see, friends, blessing instead of cursing brings a blessing ultimately if you stick with it, if you obey God. So I have a testimony to read from someone in our church. Listen to this. When my wife and I moved to Springfield, I entered into a business relationship with a person which I thought was going to be beneficial to my career and more importantly to my financial success. Our business relationship proceeded along fairly well and I was able to share my Christian faith many times with him. A point came in that relationship where I was to become a full business partner and reach the financial benefits and goals that had been talked about in our initial business agreement. At that point, he informed me that that would not be happening and we would no longer be partners and I would essentially have to start over financially. This decision would be extremely costly to me and would have no negative impact on him. I was extremely disappointed, frustrated, angry, mad. You named the word. Several people gave the advice that I should pursue legal recourse against him, but that seemed lengthy, difficult, and not necessarily clear-cut. He had clearly the finances to battle it out, and the outcome was not certain. I knew deep in my heart that I should forgive him, love him, and try to keep an avenue open so that we would not become bitter enemies. I'd like to tell you that I came to that decision quickly, but through godly counsel and God's hand of love and mercy, it still took a while to get me there. Because I did not seek out revenge, but let God deal with this battle for me, I never became an embittered enemy of his, and eventually the Lord in his humor led this man and his wife to join a Bible study that my wife and I offered several years after this. His faith walk has come a long way, and it was a blessing that God allowed me to be part of his reconciling love toward this man. And the truth is, is how you and I deal with thoughts and desires for revenge will determine whether we get bigger or smaller. It'll determine what kind of story someday we'll be able to tell. And God wants us to be able to tell a better story. 
So here, here, you knew this was coming. How do we apply this? Here's the last line. Lord, who do I need to reverse revenge with? Who do I need to reverse revenge with? Is it a family member? Is it a coworker, a classmate? Is it someone who's passed away? Is it someone that for years, that low grade or even higher grade resentment has just, just boiled inside of you or just simmered inside of you for a long time? And God's saying, please, the way that you deal with this matters. Be more like David the Nabal. Take me seriously. And so if you just bow your head, you can put your notes away if you want. But let's just take a moment to think about Let's just ask God, God, what do you want me to do with this message today? Just give him permission if you're willing. You may say, God, I can't even give you permission because I don't want to. I'm too mad. Tell him that. But bow your head if you would. Use this time before we close. I know there's probably some people in the room right now saying, but Jeff, you don't know what I've gone through, and I don't. You don't know how hard it is, and I don't. But Lord, we remember that on the cross, as you were being crucified, you blessed instead of cursed, and you were absolutely innocent. None of us are. So, Lord, if you have come to live in our lives now, show us how to let you live inside and through us in such a way that you can do that to the people that we are struggling with. Show us how you can make our hearts bigger instead of smaller. I thank you for this church family that's willing to consider these things and act on them under your leadership. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Every Sunday, we always have people up here praying. That may not be something that always is beneficial or of interest to you. Just know that's always there. We would love if we can minister to you in some way. We'd love to pray with you. If you need to make a decision about Christ or become a member of this church, all those things can happen down front after we're dismissed. Cherry Hills, God bless you. It says a lot about you that you would think about these things because here's what I picture. When you and I take these things seriously, the Holy Spirit's presence can work not only in this room, but in our homes and in our lives, and he can move freely. When we do not deal with revenge the way he wants us to, it blocks. The flow of his life blocks in us, and it blocks in our church. So whatever it might be, friends, whatever God leads you to do this week, do it humbly and do it under his leadership so that you can become a bigger person and we can become bigger people. Amen? God bless you.